This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 5, Episode 13, Suboptimal Conditions. And let's start it off with some announcements. Uh, first, I want to give like a little quick recap of our Gen Con. Uh, we had a great time. We managed to play a lot more RPGs this year round than we did last year, which was great. Um, and we got to meet a bunch of fans, too, which was really exciting. A uh, couple shout outs off the top of my head to Thomas and Eric and Andy. Uh, it was really great getting to talk to some people who have enjoyed listening to the podcast. Uh, Thomas even ended up running a session of Dragon Age for some of the cast, and that was a ton of fun. So thanks, Thomas. Yeah, I would definitely say that uh, Gen Con 50 was a success um, for all of us. So thank you guys again. Um, you guys made our Gen Con. Um, and our second announcement is that this is the 99th episode of our podcast. So that means next week will be the big 100. That's not including bloops, of course. <laughs> um, uh, so we're so old um, that we have to start giving away our stuff. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be announcing a little sweepstakes uh, next week. Um, uh, next week. Uh, so keep an eye out for that and maybe some other announcements to celebrate our 100th episode. Tune in to next week's episode to uh, find out a little bit more about what's going on. Um, but let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM Hello. is about Series 5, Episode 12, Heart of the Matter. We talked to Grendelfug, Boomer, D'Artagnan, and... Bumbles went out clubbing. <laughs> um, Nim got a tattoo like you do when you go to a foreign place. Right. Um, and uh, we got a ton of information um, from Grandelfug about um, apparently the wellspring of life, a.k.a. Fountain of Youth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like you said, the episode was a lot of little self-contained scenes back to back with uh, uh, without like one overarching plot to tie them all together. Um, but the main point of this episode happened right at the beginning when Grundlefug kind of gave you guys direction on your current mission. There's kind of been this overhanging question with how you guys are going to quote unquote, like dismantle project Zoria, right? Like you guys want to make mouse free of it and you want, you found out the location, but like you still didn't really know what the steps you had to take or nah, what steps you had to take in order to, End the project and uh, end the project once and for all. You know, there's always the question like, sure, we blow up the base, but then they just make another one and keep making clones, that kind of thing. And because you guys are um, intelligent players who wouldn't just run into a base completely blind, I, I would tend to expect you guys to start to 
think of another way to get more information, like maybe break into Evo headquarters and go into the foundation of Evo for, uh, for like lost information, try to get something like, you know, get anything to get an idea of what you guys want to do once you're on the base. Uh, but due to the nature of something like, uh, a black site, uh, finding that information not on the site is going to be incredibly difficult and time consuming. Not that it would be impossible or I didn't think that you guys would find a way to make it work. Um, but there is a, a time concern when it comes to the podcast. And so when I was trying to tackle the idea of how to get this information to you guys, it kind of clicked with me that this is definitely something Grundlefug would maybe be, or be able to figure out intuitively to be like, well, okay, the, the only way that this makes sense is that they found the wellspring of life. So that's what your guys' target is. You should just take that and they won't be able to make clones anymore. Because that was information you guys needed to be able to feel comfortable going in and and uh, to make you guys feel comfortable uh, hitting the base. Uh, and I didn't want uh, to use up, or, and I knew I didn't have enough time in a 20-episode allotment for you guys to get there unless I just kind of gave it to you through Grundlefug. Um, and that's actually a pretty useful trick to use uh, uh, in your home games, uh, on occasion, uh, if, if time management is a thing that's important for your game, uh, you know, it's okay to have an NPC just kind of know the information that the players need to find out so they don't have to struggle for it. Um, like if you're in a, a home game that only plays once a month, right? Uh, or it's, that's always something to keep in mind though. It is a tool to be used sparingly. Yeah, it can be really helpful to, um, especially if the information is very difficult to find, um, give it to your players through a PC who would know, not just like any PC, like their waitress isn't going to know if they're just in a tavern potentially. But um, the one thing you do have to be careful of is in this situation is if you do it too often, your players get lazy. Um, they're like, well, who can we talk to to find out the thing that we need to find out? Um, uh, and on the flip side, it can also give them tunnel vision, um, something to watch out for as well. You you want to give them enough information that they know what they're looking for or they know attack that will probably work, but you don't want to, you don't necessarily want them to get, uh, one idea in their head and, and not explore other options and, or, um, you know, they're going into this site where they can't, they don't have any information and, you know, not look around. Yeah. It's really easy for players to get reckless, uh, if they, or if you're constantly giving them gimmies, um, and a lot of times, like, half of an adventure is just figuring out all of the things. Uh, if this was a home game, I definitely would have, like, figured out some breadcrumb trail for you guys to follow, like, to make the journey of figuring out that you're after the wellspring of life a lot longer. Um, but we have to consolidate things for the podcast. And if that home game was a game that only played sparingly, I would also do this because I really wouldn't want... Or I would really want to make sure we get as much bang for our buck in every uh, in every session we manage to scrap together. Um, but I think that's enough about that. You guys get the gist. Uh, 
let's uh, talk about our favorite parts. What was yours? Uh, my favorite part had to be the 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 inevitable meeting with Isaac Boonin. Uh, there was even a question of whether or not D'Artagnan left him alive when you guys weren't sure if you could trust D'Artagnan. Uh, so I knew, or so I knew that you guys had to meet him, and I also knew it was going to kind of happen a little bit later because. Isaac Boone didn't really have a ton of information that you guys needed. Other characters in in this in this setting were going to be of more import. So when it kind of got to to his scene, I suddenly was like, what if he was just incredibly helpful, a little whimsical, and uh, possibly just a bit too trusting? <laughs> and so it was just like he's like, yes, however I can help, yes, of course, whatever you say. <laughs> Uh, what about you? What was your favorite part? Um, I love Mizashi Mako. Ah, uh, yeah. She is so cute. Um, it's not often that you kind of just get to do what, whatever on the podcast. Um, you know, you're always kind of like working towards the goal. And, and because we didn't necessarily have that on this episode where it was like, we have to do this now next, you know, we need to get to the next point. We got to meet some of the like colorful NPCs around us. And, um, mouse hung out with Mizashi Mako, who's like the coolest old lady ever. <laughs> I don't know. Everything about her was just like, I just want to give her a hug. Yeah. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that you, uh, got to relax and have some cute talking time and everything because you guys are about to assault an Evo black site uh, underneath Lake Washington. This has been quite the buildup to this episode, so I think it's time for us to move on in and listen to Series 5, Episode 13, Suboptimal Conditions. Enjoy! It started how it always starts. New team, new Johnson, new job. Except this time, it was different. First, the runners. You got Mouse, tiny sweet girl. More than a little funny in the head. But that doesn't matter much, considering she's the best fragging Decca I've ever seen. Then there's Kashmir. About as green as they come. Clearly out of his element. But when the cards were down, that boy proved to be one hell of a mage. Then you have Bumbles. Elf. Dryad, uh, eccentric. If you're being polite, you command an entire arsenal of drones with enough firepower to level a whole fragment city block. He's the kind of runner you hope you don't need on a job, but if you do, you're fragging glad to have him around. Then there's me, a big red oni named Boomer. My specialty is sneaking in, geeking anyone in the way, and as the leader of the group, keeping those three in line. Next, the Johnson. On the surface, sounds pretty straightforward. The next runner called Pretty B. Fell off the grid a few years back, but I didn't ask why. I'm a professional. Not a line of work, people are entitled to the secrets. Weird thing was, he was paying his hand over fist to help people. Had his clearing out ghouls from the sewers and Redmond, for frag's sake. Like I said, weird. But it's not often you get a line of jobs with a little bit of honor in them. So I was on board from day one. After a while, we earned Brin's, I mean Pretty B's, trust, and he let us meet his employer, Lawrence Whitmore. Mr. Whitmore was the last genuine anti-establishment businessman, according to my friend Doc. 
publicly, Mr. Whitmore had retired a long time ago when he was like really young, but he didn't really. It was all a ruse. And in secret, he started shadow running against the corporations. When he got too old to keep running, he switched to being a Johnson and hired a team of runners to continue the work he started. But not us. We come way later. The runners he hired back then were Bryn's team. Bryn, his sister Enna, an elf named Lario, and an adept named Jason Black. Bryn told us that all of them had died a long time ago, and that's why Mr. Whitmore was looking for a new team. And that's when he found us. We could continue his mission to protect those who couldn't protect themselves, especially from the corporations. I learned from Doc that when you have the chance to do something good for somebody else, you should do it. So of course I agreed to help. Unfortunately, no good deed goes unpunished, and no organization rises without inspiring a rival. Havoc 66 arose as a dark mirror to Whitmore and Bren's work led by a madman called Hellion. It didn't take long before Hellion found out about us, and we learned that there was quite a lot that Widmore wasn't telling us. Like that Hellion was actually the not-so-dead Jason Black, the very one that used to run with Bryn. Hellion had turned on his old team, slaughtering them as he defected from Whitmore's cause, which we would learn much later was because he wasn't just operating alone. See, the funny thing about magic is, those of us who are able to harness it are as much under its influence as it is under ours. Hellion had gotten into bed with the wrong kind of spirit, a toxic one. Uh, the spirit drove him mad, uh, desiring only destruction. It took Whitmore's anti-corporation agenda and uh, perverted it, uh, causing Hellion to see violence as the only solution. But before we had a chance to prepare for the coming onslaught, Hellion made his move against the corpse and Whitmore. He broke into the estate and murdered Whitmore right in front of us. Then he stole Whitmore's personal shuttle, blasting off into space as he Hellion had set into motion a series of events that gave him the opportunity to hit the corporations where it would hurt them the most. Now the thing about AAA corps is they're much too big to take down. That said, they did put quite a few of their eggs in one basket. Zurich Orbital Station. The station is, was, a seat of power for the AAAs. The Matrix, their bank, and even the corporate court was housed there. Like I said, a lot of eggs in one nice mid-sized space basket. Hellion's plan was to take over the station and crash it on Seattle. Not quite an extinction level event, but certainly a global catastrophe. Naturally, the only reasonable thing for us to do was follow him up into space and stop him. Which we did! Sort of. We definitely took Hellion out, just not before he had done enough damage to the station to send it careening earthward. But with a little help from Mouse, we managed to make the whole space station rigger interfaced. That's right, for a few glorious minutes, I was a space station. While rigged in, I had to break poor Zurich Orbital apart. It fell into the ocean in little bitty pieces, causing basically no damage at all. And we became global heroes. Except no one knows, because we're shadow runners, and the corpse would love to pin this on us. So we decided to lay low, in Whitmore's mansion. It was the only sensible choice. 
That's where we've been since then, keeping our heads down while Bryn lines up the next job. And that's where I come in. This crusade Whitmore started is more than just a mission. It's my legacy. My name is Nim, and Lawrence Whitmore was my father. Whitmore sacrificed everything for his crusade against the corpse, including his relationship with my mother, L'Oreal. I never understood how he could just neglect us for his greater purpose. When I was old enough to join his team, he didn't offer, and I didn't ask. Some people would consider that a lucky break for me if they knew what happened next. When Jason Black murdered my mother, I faked my death and fled overseas. And it wasn't even hard considering my ability to magically impersonate literally anyone I meet. I needed to start a new life as someone else, to get away from him and, well, everything. I never understood how important my father's mission was until after he died. And then it was too late. It wasn't really a decision to come back to Seattle. It was something else, an, an imperative. I have to try to make things right in whatever way I can. I returned to the manor and met Bryn's new team. And apparently the mage they've been running with, this cashmere guy, ended up just like Jason. He turned toxic, betrayed his team, and ran away. I can understand why they've had some trouble trusting me. It took me this long to start letting people back into my life after a toxic mage tore it apart. Hopefully, they're not as slow on the uptake. The last time we left Crash 3.0, they had escaped from Maria Silva's apartment, which was attacked by Evo Special Forces, led by the Evo operative known as Echo. Um, D'Artagnan came to their aid, and then Crash 3.0 convinced Maria not to kill D'Artagnan and to give up her feud against him as uh, her partner had actually turned all toxic-y and been corrupted by this entity known as the Great Corrupter. This is all information they learned when D'Artagnan took them to his home of Kothan Care, a secret mystical underground city that was put in place in the Fourth World long ago in the time of legends. They met with Grandmaster Grundlefug of Kothan Care and... He sympathized with their desire to free Mouse from the threat of Project Zoria, the cloning program that created her, and offered a little bit of advice in that uh, he believed the way that Eva was able to create clones that actually had true life uh, was mystical in nature. As far as the modern world is concerned, cloning human tissue has been a thing that people have been capable of for a while now. Problem is, you make lifeless, brain-dead husks. No soul or aura, even, exists in these organic lumps of meat and organs. So Grundlefug believed that there's only one item in creation that could give life to a vessel, and that is the wellspring of life sometimes referred to in other mythologies as the Fountain of Youth. And, and he suggested to the team uh, that they could remove the fountain from the Evo base and return it to Kothan Care uh, to be kept safe, and that would undo the cloning program's ability to continue to make clones. Uh, he also offered Kothan Care as a place of refuge for any escaped clones uh, that the team may collect during their mission. Uh, they went back to the manor and began to prepare to 
make their move against Project Zoria, uh, with D'Artagnan and Maria Silva living in the manor for a spell. You guys got as much time as you need to prep before you make your move against Zoria. Uh, anything in particular anyone's attempting to achieve? Um, well, I talked to Bryn about getting uh, an arm that looked like a real arm instead of the arm that I have. Did he get back to me? Yeah, after a bit, uh, he does uh, he does the surgery himself. After you know vetting a few street docs, you said specifically you didn't want Doc to be involved, and so uh, eventually he just decided the more prudent option would be for him to just learn how to do cyber <laughs> how to do cyber surgery. He already had a little bit of knowledge of the inner workings of cyber tech due to his hand. Um, so he just kind of extrapolated that and then pumped the operating room full of sprites and they helped him, uh, out quite a bit. And, um, uh, you go through the procedure. It doesn't take very long. He just removes, uh, your big bulky cyber arm, adds a modular connector, and then he had purchased a synthetic arm that is proportionately appropriate to you and looks very real. And you're down for about three days after the surgery. It feels weird. <laughs> Looks great. I'm all off balance. How, I keep falling over. Do you pull to the left now? I do. It's weird. I don't like it. But look, I look like a real person. You were always a real person, Mouse. Oh, I look like a whole person. <laughs> Anyone else trying to achieve anything? <laughs> uh, I build the submazine which is turning the limousine into a submarine. And I do document it in great detail, sending updates to Bryn the whole time with sort of like pointed looks of, see? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get it. A while back you asked me to make the, sub the limousine into a submarine. I said we wouldn't need it. We didn't need it until now. Right. I think I've proven I've got pretty good foresight of things that might come up. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the project to create a submazine takes you a couple weeks. But in the end, you've uh, adapted this limousine. You've managed to seal all of the hard points uh, so that it can not flood when it goes underwater. And then you added a secondary propulsion method where the wheels turn and become propellers. And you refitted a smuggling compartment in the base of the limousine to work as an airlock in case someone needs to uh, exit the limousine while underwater without flooding the inside. Yeah. And then I add a suite of stealth capabilities because my first thought was lots and lots of guns. But then my second thought was, I bet if an underwater base sees us, we will lose that fight. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Yeah, you put everything. in a bunch of uh, counter or electronic countermeasures and uh, chameleon coating as well. I'm going to spend my time showing mouse uh, old bond trids especially anything to do with water. Uh, and then with her permission, use the time when we're watching the movies to practice mimicking her face. Oh, this is so, this is so unrealistic. That would not explode that way. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, just keep watching the film. It's fine. It's just me. <laughs> Rutabaga. 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 <laughs> uh, this is very stressful. 
Look, I found a wetsuit my suit fits under. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Silva walks by, sees all this going down, and goes, we're doomed. <laughs> we're just training. We survived space, so, you know, maybe hold your judgment. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get a, you get some practice turning into mouse so that when the time comes, you can have a little bit of a bonus. You've been training for two weeks, churning your face into mouse and being very, very like detail oriented to make sure you look just like her, except for blonde hair instead of blue hair. <laughs> it's so weird. What if I did this red hair? Ah, that's so weird. Brown hair. Oh man. Rapunzel hair. <laughs> <gasps> wow. <laughs> I will take D'Artagnan and Maria aside and just sort of sit them down in a room together and say, um, so we're going to go storm the underwater base where they're making clones. Um, D'Artagnan, I assume you're in. I'm coming, yes. Sure, okay. Maria, you're invited? <laughs> you're very good at shooting people, which might come in handy. And she nods and she goes, from, from what I under, understand, from what I've heard about you guys, uh, heard you guys planning over the course of these two weeks, your hope is to break some people out of there, right? Uh, if it's feasible. Well, I was thinking about that. And in order to make it feasible, I mean, you're, that project you're working on in the garage, that doesn't seat that many people. Well, it seats a fair amount, but you're right. It's not an evac vehicle. We are going to need to steal one of their submarines. Right. And so I was thinking about that, and and it feels like that gets you to the surface, but not really anywhere else. Well, I mean, the surface is spot, and spot gets us anywhere. But still not enough to hold a bunch of people, right? Sure. I mean, do you own or know someone who owns, or can you acquire, like, a school bus? Well, I can acquire uh, a boat. That's pretty good. I'm not entirely fired f from Lone Star. I've just been suspended without pay. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I still have friends in the force, and I could maybe get a Lone Star patrol boat conveniently located around where where the underwater base is. That way, when you guys surface, we can load the refugees onto the boat. That sounds great. At least that way we can guarantee if you get more people than you can fit in Spot and the limousine, we can get them out. Sure. Yeah. And it's a lower profile, too. Yeah. I like that plan a lot. So that sort of solves my next order of business, which was to just kind of, in the future, if you're both on the job with us, if you could just sort of work together, like friction amongst you, I get it. But also when we're on the job, it's kind of a big deal that we're all of one mind and one purpose and not bickering about partners and grudges and things like that. So that's probably won't come up this time. <laughs> There's a moment of like quiet tension between the two of them. And then Maria goes, I've had to work with dirty cops before to get things done. I can handle it. And then D'Artagnan like narrows his eyes slightly and goes, yeah, we'll be fine. Cool. All right. You guys seem like you've got this handled. I'm going to go build a submachine and I leave them in the room together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyone else uh, planning anything? Do you guys have a plan going in? I know there's a submarine involved. <laughs> <laughs> we do, too. 
So I was thinking that maybe we could do like a swim by. Like go take a look. Yeah. And so then we could get some like at least like visual information or confirmation that it's there. Like what if the door is hidden or like there's like no matrix down below there. So it's really hard to like do anything that way. Everything had to would have to be plugged in. So I think a lot of the legwork is just going to be have to be on the job where like we plug into a monitor and then I find like a map or something. So but if we could get like you know, like a visual cue so we could like find out where everything is, um, then that would be best. But I think we should just bring everything with us because in case things go horribly awry, like they sometimes maybe tend to do, then um, then we can just be ready. But ideally, we go back a second time. A plan after my own heart. Bring everything you might need in case it goes to hell. Yeah, like that. I like it. Let's do it. Uh, Isaac Boonin was also very generous. So if we need a distraction, um, making it look like he's trying to break into a different part of the base might be really helpful. Or a different Evo site nearby. Right, like we could like throw his blood at Evo headquarters. Yeah, that's how that works. You got it. <laughs> I think I've got, you know, the gist of it. Let's pack up. Okay. Uh, we all pile as much gear that we might need into the submazine. All right, so it's the four of you and D'Artagnan in the submazine. Bumbles, I'm pretty sure you can't fit your entire swarm in, but I think you could get uh, like maybe four of your roto drones in, and then you can kind of you have enough space that you can pile in all of the noisquitos and fly spies. Also, uh, about a few days before you finish working on the submazine, a uh, package does arrive. Um, uh, it has no, you know, return address, no markings on it. It's just a, a blank package. You open it up and, uh, you realize it's from Jerry. Oh, great. How uh, did my design work out as constructed by Jerry? So there's a note in there that you pull out of the box and, uh, uh, it says, Hey Bubbles, I made it to the specifications that I could. I think, uh, you'll like the tweaks I made and I hope everything's all right with you. Signed, Jerry. <laughs> oh, Jerry, you're just the best. Um, and uh, you uh, unpackage uh, a stealth drone. It's a Lockheed Optic uh, model, um, which is a stealth drone that folds in on itself to be a, roughly the size of a tablet or a cyber deck. Um, and then when it opens up, uh, it has two vertical uh, takeoff and landing propellers that uh, run silently and, and uh, give it pretty good agility and speed. As per your design, the framework of this drone has been fabricated uh, as a like one-use plasteel latticework that has four fly spies on each wing. So as to give you basically a nine drone pocket swarm. Um, however, once the fly spies break off of that lattice work, uh, you have to refabricate it because it does shatter. Uh, or or uh, the the couplings that are holding them there do shatter. Great! This is fantastic. Um, I put it in the Faraday pocket of my seat. Sure. We pile in. It's time to go. Shotgun. Yeah, I got one of those. <laughs> No, I'm. I, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, front seat. <laughs> D'Artagnan looks dejected as he gets in the back. He's like, "Damn." <laughs> Called it. <laughs> and uh, you guys start driving towards Lake Washington. Uh, yeah, I I 
check into the submachine and drive us towards Lake Washington. Before I do, I tell them, as you have called front seat, you are now first mate. So just be prepared to fulfill those duties in an emergency. Frag, yeah, I'm first mate. <laughs> uh, aye, aye, captain. Good. I'm glad you've studied naval law. <laughs> Fly the jib sail. You're not a very good first mate. And I plug in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Bumbles, go ahead and roll a stealth test for me using your reaction instead of your agility. Just to see if you can make it to and into Lake Washington without uh, people noticing a limousine driving into the lake. That is four hits. Between your clever approach and the chameleon coating on the uh, stealth submosine, uh, you are more than able to find an area to, uh, to drop into the lake. Um, you do have to like drive off of like uh, a little pier <laughs> instead of like a gradual descent into you just go. <laughs> I don't tell anyone that this is my plan. <laughs> so you all just see as he's like creeping along, creeping along. And then all of a sudden he revs up the engine and you guys go flying off of like a concrete pier into the lake. And uh, you guys land and there's a splash and then it just sinks in. And then uh, some track lighting lights up on the inside so you guys can, you know, see what with the darkness of the water surrounding you and bumbles you engage the chameleon coating to make yourself nearly invisible in the water and you start heading towards the coordinates correct this is awesome please remember to keep your seat belts fastened at all times as items may move about the cabin during travel due to waves <laughs> click <laughs> Yeah, and you guys start, uh, it's not too long before you lose any sign of sunlight as you go deep enough into the lake that it is completely black. Uh, you're just working with your sensors, uh, Bumbles, to try and see around. Go ahead and roll electronic warfare uh, as you operate your, um, your sensors. That's three hits. All right, Bumbles, uh, you're able to use your sensors to get kind of a 3D like readout. Uh, on a display that everyone can see um, of like the surrounding waters and uh, you do as you get closer to the Evo site uh, dipping down almost 70 meters uh, below the water surface you you start to pick up some some objects uh, inorganic objects floating around in the uh, in the water uh, these are depth charges yeah Seems like it might be. Or rather mines. Something along those lines, yeah. Uh, also, Mouse, your matrix connection at this point, this deep in the water, completely gone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, well, I avoid the mines. Roll pilot watercraft for me. That's three hits. All right, so uh, you're, you're zipping through, you're zipping through, like, slowly, slowly, like, you know, turning uh like you'll move the nose forward and then the nose will stop and the entire butt of the limousine will swing around so that you can move like laterally to how you were before and then stopping and like pivoting on the back side so the nose is pointing somewhere uh and it's like it's a really slow go um and uh it's almost like it, it feels almost like there's there's only a couple like appropriate paths as you get further along there's more and more mines it gets more and more dense um Based on how it's looking, how they've laid out all this stuff, can I find, like, just looking at my readout, can I take a minute and 
find like the correct approach yeah yeah you can you can roll nautical mechanic uh to try and uh piece out the structure the, the design of these uh structures also uh you get the bonus of your analytical mind for this i got two hits Okay, you're not really able to like map out what you think is the perfect uh, the perfect path. Uh, you have a few different options to choose from. Do you, I find the ones that are obviously like traps? You find a couple that are like obviously like oh, this is a dead end. Where like you know, depending on how the currents go, you could go in there and it will close up behind you, and then you're surrounded, and then you're definitely gonna get like hit. But uh, I'm gonna need one more pilot watercraft um, to make it through the path that you choose. There we go. That is seven hits. Uh, so you're you're kind of sitting there. You're like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, <laughs> <laughs> and you dive straight down, um, dodging around a couple uh, a couple mines, and then uh, you turn the sub submarine sideways. Everyone has to like kind of lean into their seats against their straps uh, as you snake in between a couple more, and uh, eventually you feel like you've uh, more or less cleared it. Uh, can you roll electronic warfare uh, again to um, to detect your surroundings as you make it through the minefield? That's four hits. With four hits, uh, you you sink a little bit lower down. Uh, you're getting about eighty meters below the surface now, and you kind of ping around. Um, you can sense more mines kind of surrounding your area, which kind of domes you into where you are, uh, and below you. Uh, at the surface of the lake, you uh, you get like a reading from like a structure, and um, judging by your layout, it is circular in shape, about uh, a little less than a hundred meters in diameter. And with your like thermal imaging and all of that, uh, you're able to kind of get uh, a visual on how it looks. Um, it's set right at the right at the base. Um, it's got like all this like seaweed and mud, like kind of masking it. Um, and, uh, everyone can roll a visual perception test while looking at this screen. Uh, go ahead and take a minus two cause you are looking at like secondary, like images and, and, uh, thermal readings and stuff. You don't really have like an actual photograph of what you're looking at. That's two hits. One hit. Also two hits. Four hits. Uh, so you're all looking, you do get the size of the thing, uh, with two hits, you guys can see like, there's kind of, uh, it seems like there's a large, maybe like 30 meter, uh, diameter, uh, like circle in the center of this circle, uh, bumbles your, you don't have to roll for it. You can like, be like, that's where the submarines go in and out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, mouse, uh, you're looking at it. Everyone's kind of like discussing it, thinking it. <laughs> Nim, you're like, it's just a big blob of red and o yellow and orange. Ascensing is so much easier than thermal. <laughs> Mouse, uh, you look a little bit closer, um, and uh, you're able to pick up some readings uh, that uh, give you pause as, uh, as you're pretty sure you see uh, like turret uh, turret placements <laughs> on, the, on the surface of this uh, station, about eight of them. Bumbles? Yeah? Do you see those turrets? Well, I do now. The eight. There's eight, there's eight turrets. Which part? The squiggly part over here the, or this blobby thing over there? No, it's like the yellowish. Like, they're not really hot, but this they're not. This is all over DNI, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I circle them. 
Uh, that's a turret? Uh-huh. That's just a squiggle. Um, I'm, a, I'm assuming I know reasonably well what they fire, like what kind of turrets these are, given the extreme environment in which they function. It's, you, you can't narrow it down. There's a lot of things that could fire down this low. It's, it's hard to say with absolute certainty what they would be. Cool and great. So, Bumbles, I'm going to need you to roll another stealth test using your uh, reaction. That's three hits. We have harpoon guns, right, Bumbles? I saw that in a trid once. Uh, did you buy one? <laughs> I just assumed that between you and Boomer, you guys would have harpoon guns. It seems like something you'd do. Well, yeah, if we were going to come down here in just wetsuits, but you don't shoot a harpoon gun at a submarine. That's just silly. <laughs> What if it was a really big harpoon gun? I'm interested. <laughs> Explosive tip, shape charge, punctures the hole. I was a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Mouse, I need you to roll computer and logic for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <gasps> I'm going to edge that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got um, seven hits. Oh, eight hits. Mouse, as Bumbles is slowing the, the turbines and, like, kind of deciding how he wants to, like, approach this base uh, with the knowledge of turrets, you start to feel a tar- uh, you start to sense a target lock uh, encroaching. Um, you're, like, your, your matrix protocols, like, Crothlin, like, pops up in your AR and, like, waves his hands at you and, like, points at, like, <laughs> uh, a data feed and you open up that data feed and you see, like, uh, like target lock, like 40%, 41, 42. Okay, I'm going to break the target lock. Okay. Two hits. Okay. Uh, you sit there, it's, it's, it's getting, uh, it's increasing, it's 52, 63, 81. Oh, I'm going to try again. <laughs> and then you manage to swipe uh, the data file uh, and rearrange enough of the algorithm that it breaks. Everything's fine. We're fine, guys. It's great. It's, I just, nope, don't worry. I fixed it. Oh, uh, it, thanks. Sorry, I didn't even tell you. So they were target locking us. All right, so evasive maneuvers then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound fine. And then, and then I broke it. So we've got job, we've got a couple of minutes probably before they try again, or maybe seconds. Bum- I Bumbles, don't know. I thought this ship was invisible. No, no, no. I never said invisible. I said very stealthy. I'm gonna try and do my best to sink as something without power would. <laughs> yeah, you, you shut down as many of uh, uh, as many of the systems as you can. Um, go ahead and roll electronic warfare uh, again, uh, Bumbles, uh, to mask your signature. That's five hits. Can I assist him at all with this? Yeah, you guys can double down on your electronic countermeasures. Okay, Sorry, cool. Nim, you're out as first mate. Mouse, you're up. <laughs> I climb into the front seat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to the crew quarters. While Bumbles and Mouse work on masking your guys' signature to the best of their abilities, Nim and Boomer, go ahead and roll uh, visual or audio perception, whichever one you prefer. I got four. I got three. Okay. Boomer... 
using your feet of the sensors, you know, uh, everyone's been focused on this, uh, the readouts of this base, but you just kind of like, the sensors do go, you know, 360 degrees. So you start like scanning around with your feed to see if there's anything, uh, around and, um, you notice some heat signatures around. I mean, there's like been heat signatures all around. There's tons of like organic life around here. Um, but you see some that look a little disconcerting. Um, Mouse and Bumbles, what did what did you guys get for your electronic warfare? Five hits. Okay, cool. Uh, Mouse, you keep an eye. You're just very diligently watching, making sure like you know, uh, uh, there's no like target locks happening. Nothing's going on, and you're pretty sure that you guys are are at least sinking in a way that makes it so these turrets don't recognize you. However, uh, Boomer, what you see is four heat signatures that are moving around in the water uh, together, like in formation almost. And as you look a little bit closer, you see they're like squid-like in in shape. They're about as big as you are each, and there's four of them. Hey, uh, Bumbles, we got incoming. Hey, uh, Nim, do you want to sense those real quick? Uh, yes, I will take a look out of the window. I think that they're kind of, you know in the direction of, of these things in a sense. Yeah. Uh, you close your eyes, open them up and you see the astral. It's very, very bright in the astral here. Uh, just because the water is teeming with, you know, microscopic life forms and then like normal, like fish and stuff like that. There's just a lot of interference. So you're going to be operating at a minus four for a sensing. That's a glitch. One hit. Okay. So with one hit, you're able to tell that they are not awakened in any way. They don't have any magical means. They are not sentient. You're able to tell that as well. Uh, they are beasts. Beyond that, you're not really sure. Uh, you're not able to tell if, they have been, if they're cybernetically enhanced beasts or anything like that. There's way too much interference from like the water and like random like normal fish like swimming around that like it's like looking into Van Gogh paintings like paint swirls and trying to pick out like a specific image in one like square inch. <laughs> it's just like, it's just a teeming with color. And within that color, you see like just the slight auras of these creatures. You do get their emotional state though, which is not hostile necessarily. It's like diligent and predatory, but not like you don't, you get the impression that they haven't seen you and they're not coming for you. And then, like, you know, you're, like, basically your third eye is, like, squinting <laughs> to try and, like, see as much as you can see here. And um, you kind of, like, are shaking your head clear trying to get a better look. And uh, beyond them, uh, you kind of, like, glance up. And uh, coming through the minefield, uh, you see another form, a larger form, a significantly larger form, a about the same size as the submazine, lowering down towards you guys, and uh, it is awakened. Uh, you actually identify it as a spirit, and uh, it seems to be drawn towards your astral body glowing down there as you are sensing. Oh, Drek, I would stop a sensing right away. <laughs> right, so evasive maneuvers then. Yes, yep, yep, uh -huh, yep, right away, please, uh, Bumbles. Okay, what are you doing, Bumbles? I'm going to be very stealthy, and I'm going to just turn the rotors, and we're just going to go to the left and be as invisible as possible. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. 
uh, go ahead and uh, roll. We'll call this one pilot watercraft, but use your intuition instead of your reaction. Because you're trying to do a maneuver, but you're trying to do it in a in a very, very subtle way. So it's not so much based on your reaction. Three hits. All right. Nim, you, you quit a sensing. You step away from the sunroof that you were looking through. <laughs> I'm cowering in the corner. Yeah, you, you try to get yourself in a way so as much of the, like, not windowed part of the limousine is between you and the spirit. I'm behind Boomer. <laughs> like, just stand right. Just stand between me and the window, please. Just That's further. That's why I never go swimming here. <laughs> uh, Bumbles orders everyone to strap in as uh, he just very slightly uh, tips the rotors um, and actually turns the submarine or the submazine upside down. And you're all kind of like hanging there. And, uh, and he puts like, so there's no windows pointing up towards the spirit and, uh, uh, using the sensors, you're able to see the heat signature of this giant. It looks like a blend between a giant eel and like an angler fish. It starts slithering down towards you guys and it gets like right by where you are, but more obviously looking where you were. And uh, and you hear it too as you as you guys are all listening to like the the like uh, the sensors you hear like oh Draco 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 I fucking hate magic <laughs> and uh, it sweeps by and bumbles you see as it's like kind of passing by you its tail folds over down towards you guys and is gonna hit you and you just. Put a little bit of thrust <laughs> and inch forward and just goes whoosh, right behind your guys' submazine. Ah. Uh, and then uh, you see as f- those four squid-like things like kind of like change course and then you hear and uh, the thing picks up speed, the spirit does, and it goes slithering super fast through the water, shooting through. Towards the uh, towards the four squid-like creatures, and uh, you see them scatter, and one of them gets <laughs> eaten up by the spirit, and then it swims away, as like the other three go scattering away. And at this point, you're not that far from the base. You've sunk enough <laughs> that uh, that you're getting pretty close to the base. I just want to go on record and say magic is cheating, and I I would like to file a complaint. <laughs> I worked very hard on this and it just it feels bad that they can just have a spirit and that's that's all it takes. <laughs> um do I see any convenient alternate points of entry or spaces where the turrets cannot cover or perhaps some kind of device that we could get the airlock near and then someone could data tap it i mean there's the turrets you could data tap those uh-huh um a lot of the base is covered by uh the muck and like like natural buildup on top of it uh so much so that like you had to like enhance your like thermal sensors a lot to really like pick it up that's part of the the stealth of this base is that it does have like a decent layer of like living earth on top of it. So basically your your two points that you can think of are the turrets 
uh, data tapping the turret, or uh, you're pretty sure like around the seams of that of that like entry point for uh, submersible vehicles, uh, you could probably like data tap something. Okay. Um, there's nothing else obvious. Like there's no uh, like exhaust port that someone could climb through. That's obvious. It doesn't seem like it. No. Okay. Well. Um, so. As far as I can tell, the only way we're going to get any information about this is, one, going in the main entrance when another submarine comes to do that, which seems like a bad plan, or two, data tapping something on the outside, which is subgroup A, the turrets, or subgroup B, something around the door. Your thoughts? So I did manage to pick up a a trick over the past couple of weeks that if we wanted to, we, I can EMP the turrets, but then they're going to know something's up. That's good to have in your back pocket. That's very good to have in your back pocket, particularly now. Um, I don't think that's a great opener in this scenario. Yeah, I think it'll draw a lot of attention, but if there's no way for us to get past the turrets, then it's an option. Well, the turrets haven't seen us yet, Um I'm assuming the turrets can cover the door quite well. Yes. Is there a way to position the submachine by a turret that none of the other turrets or that one can shoot us? Not not none of the other turrets. Okay. Uh, so this the circular top of this base is domed slightly, so it has a slight incline to the center. Um, so if you were to go to one of the outlying turrets, you'd probably be able to be safe from half of the turrets, but not all of the turrets. Okay. Uh, so then I think door or turret. They can shoot us with all their guns if we go for the door, but we're closer to getting inside. They can shoot us with half their guns if we go to a turret, but their guns are very strong and we're far away from the door. Oh yeah, you guys are a lot closer now too. So your previous question about exactly what these turrets are, uh, Boomer and Bumbles, easily the two of you can recognize these as Archon Heavy Laser Turrets. Um, so that's not great, but you're the hacker, Mouse. What do you want to hack? There's no guarantee that the lasers are on the same network as the door. So if we're planning on opening the door to get in, I need to connect to the door. I can do that. All right, Bumbles, you're going to need to roll a pilot watercraft for me to uh, approach this in a way that doesn't trigger any alarms. Uh, and Mouse, go ahead and roll electronic warfare as he is piloting and you are dampening your signal so that no motion sensors or uh, uh, mad scanners are able to pick you up as you get this close to the base. Also, now that you guys are this close to the, to the surface, um, uh, you actually realize you can see a little bit outside the windows. Just a little bit. Not a lot. Like, but you get, you can kind of see the form of the, of the earth. It's like, it's like the earth, it's not like the earth is like luminescent in any way, but like there is something that is, that is giving you guys just a slight bit of light so you can get an impression of where the ground is. Um, six hits for electronic warfare. I'm going to edge that. Okay. Roll a d6 and see if your bad luck comes into play. Oh God. Whew. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> That's much better. Uh, six hits, then. 
Okay. Uh, you guys slowly, very, very slowly inch your way up the base um, using the, uh, the audio sensors that um, Bumbles is putting out. You're able to hear as like one of the turrets kind of like seems to be scanning around the anomaly that is you guys. And then as it turns away. And you just inch slowly. You hear the in the distance of the spirit going around. And then and bumbles you inch just barely so that the bottom of the submarine is like sitting just like right over the entrance of the uh, of the base. And you've tilted everything slightly to the left. Mouse, you're on the left side and you get a very faint matrix signal. Can I try to reduce the noise? You can try. This close to it, you're actually only operating at a minus two. Okay, that's four, four, five hits for suppressing the noise. Okay, you're able to scrub the noise and you have a clear signal to uh, to this door. It doesn't seem like this part of the base is running uh, wired because you are able to see a wireless connection. Cool. Do I see a host or is it just a device? It is a device slaved to a host. Okay. Can I roll perception to see the device reading? Yes. Okay. Um, that is seven hits. Okay. Uh, the device rating of this door is four. Um, the host it is slaved to is rating 12. Oh, <laughs> Cool. Uh, the host's array is currently attack 12, sleaze 16, uh, data processing 15, and firewall 13. Cool. Um, okay. Um, so I think maybe I'll ask what you guys think. Uh, <laughs> the um, host is extremely powerful. It's, it's, a, it's a corporate host at, at its best. So... If I go up against it, there's every chance that it beats me. The door um, is not a big threat. And if I had a direct connection to it, then I could hack the host and open the door and everything would be fine. But we'd have to get a direct connection. Well, looks like I'll have to go put a data tap on. Cool. I rotate the submarine that is centimeters from the door such that Boomer can climb into the airlock. We close it behind him and he sticks his arm out. <laughs> uh, you got how many hits on your on your maneuver last time? Six? Six. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> I don't move anywhere. Yeah. I just rotate upon an axis. Right. And you're and you have just enough of a delicate touch, just kinda like whoop. <laughs> and then Boomer climbs into the uh uh, into the smuggling compartment in the base of the uh, uh, the submarine. It closes behind him. Boomer, I need you to roll diving for me as you have to acclimate to the increased pressure. I got a two, so that's not terrible. All right, Boomer. Uh, you're sitting there in your, in your chem-sealed mil-spec armor. The water starts filling up, and you feel the pressure start to change. It pushes on your ears and your eyes. Uh, it's, you feel the through even your armor, you feel how ice cold the water is. Uh, and um, you just kind of sit there and you, you know, 
you guys trained a little bit for this. Bumbles walked you through it in the uh, in the pool of the uh, <laughs> in the pool of the manor. You know, you didn't have the pressure, but he made sure that he watched everyone go through the process of making sure that like your lungs don't explode. <laughs> And it sucks quite a bit, and then there's a little green light, <laughs> and shh, the bottom opens up, and you're floating there just a, <laughs> a couple inches away from from this door. I put the data tap on the door. <laughs> shh. <laughs> the door shuts, and I need you to roll another diving test for me as you depressurize. <laughs> Got three that time. I'm ready for it. All right. All right. Your lungs don't explode as you're uh, as the pressure is removed from the uh, <laughs> uh, from the door. I mean, you know, it's a very, very gradual change in pressure. It's, you know, so it's designed so that you can do it. But uh, luckily, nothing goes horribly wrong. And after like a, a minute, guys, the uh, the floor of the submarine opens up and you see a drenched boomer uh, laying on his stomach. <laughs> And Mouse, you have a direct connection. Okay, well, here we go. Do I get a bonus for the Evo base code knowledge that I have from um, Isaac Boonin? You do. Uh, Boonin gave you enough knowledge on how uh, Evo codes its security that you actually have a perpetual plus two on all Matrix actions against anything Evo related. He's a very, very thorough teacher. Three marks on the host, please. Okay. Go big or go home. <laughs> uh, Boomer, as you climb up uh, out of the airlock and kind of like regain your seat, uh, D'Artagnan hands you a towel and goes, nice. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good floating. Yep. <sighs> Practiced a lot in the pool. <laughs> Seven? You get three marks on the host. <laughs> cool. Uh, this host is uh, labeled... EBSS41672. And it has no other identifying features but that. But you have three marks on it, so you can go right in. Um, I do. Is there uh, any ice or spiders? Who's in there with me? Uh, yeah. How many hits? You got seven? Seven. So before you even enter, you're able to get enough of a readout of what's going on inside that host before you jump into it. You're unsure as to whether or not there's uh, a spider or anything on the inside, but uh, you do know that this host has all of the lasers slaved to it, um, this door slaved to it. It also has a suite of a bunch of different ice. Currently active on the host is a probe, a tracker, and your heart sinks as you see black ice floating around on that host, too. That's that's not good. I don't like it. Um are there cameras? Uh, slaved to this host? No. There's like thermal imaging and stuff like that. There's a ton of sensors on the top of this, uh, on the top of this base. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's anything slaved to it. You haven't entered it yet, also. You've been looking at it from the outside. That's all information you got because you hacked real good. I go in. Okay. The host is very by the books. Uh, nothing, nothing fancy in like the metaphor here. Um, it's just like a grid of, uh, of data. Uh, you enter. I need you to roll sleaze. I got nine hits. You see the standard icon for a probe. 
Uh, it's uh, bouncing around, scanning the different things, checking each turret, uh, checking each sensor, making sure everything is fine. Uh, and it zips right by you and goes to scan something else. It's just like this kind of little like eyeball looking thing that's like looking at everything. Uh, you also see the black ice kind of like lurking up above uh, along with the tracker ice. Um, just kind of floating up there. I'm not scared. You're scared. I'm scared. Um, okay. So there's n- no cameras? Now that you're inside the host, you're able to see uh, there, there's no cameras. Um, there's all those sensors and everything. All the devices, basically, that you saw from looking at the outside of the host, uh, you were, you see in here. Uh, I do need you to roll another matrix perception, actually. Okay. Five. Okay. Um you you see all the devices you saw from the outside. Uh, you see like where you can control the door. You can see where the turret controls and like readings are. You see all the sensors and all of the operations for those. Um, you do get kind of a readout of this base, uh, almost a rudimentary floor plan. Uh, basically, just by looking around, you're able to kind of suss out exactly what the what host you're in. It's a it's a security host. Um, but it seems like it's it's separate from other parts of the base. So you first off, the first thing you get is the is the layout of the base, uh, which is it's actually three of these disc sized levels, each with four floors, um, kind of stacked up on top of each other, all attached to this center chamber where the submarines can come in and out, with like a little bit of space in between each disc. Level one, the upmost level, the level you guys are basically floating right above right now, is called Echnid. Uh, level two, the le- level below that, is called Deva. And then level three is called Zoria. It doesn't have any any uh, other info besides that, but you do get, again, a rudimentary floor plan of some of those levels. Since Zoria is the one of interest to you, I'll go into more detail about that one. You do get kind of the floor plan of of like that disc. The problem is you don't get any details. You get no contextual information. You get like this is the size of a room. This is the length of a hallway. Um, and on top of that, there's parts that are classified. In fact, the whole fourth lower floor is completely classified. There's no floor plan for it at all. You do get uh, the just like the from the blueprints and schematics that you're able to find just by being in the host, uh, you do get uh, each disc is self-contained Faraday caged. Uh, and the only thing that connects them in any way whatsoever is that center chamber. And uh, you actually get that... Um, you have a security design, right? I do. Uh, can you roll that for me? Four hits. Okay, yeah. With that, you you actually are able to discern the entire purpose, uh, which is uh, that center chamber. So basically, it does have four airlocks per disc uh, that give you access points to each disc. Additionally, it actually has a internal structure in the shape of a ring that houses um, an auxiliary security team. Uh, with your uh, security design role, you're, you're able to discern that the, the way this station works is each disc probably has its own internal security, and then the like big guns are this 
auxiliary team that only is housed in the central chamber. Uh, and they can go to any disc accessing those airlocks and um, jump in if they're called. But otherwise, they don't have any information about what's going on in each of these discs. Uh, probably, you know, for project security, the, this on-site team only knows this is a base. Protect this base. You have control of the exterior defenses, and if we call you, you can get in here and you have a floor plan to get to where we tell you to go. And that's it. Okay, well, I relay all of that to the team. Um, and this central area, the central tube, it's not flooded, so you don't take like a submarine all the way down. You do. Oh, you do. It is, it is flooded, and it's not like extra pressurized or anything like that. So you actually, the docking chambers are, you just float a submarine down, you dock, and then, uh, and then you give control of the submarine to, uh, to the security team so they can like park it somewhere else in the chamber. Um, additionally, to make it so that these, uh, these docks uh, for each disc are available and open, um, the security team's ring-shaped structure is uh, set on rails. And it can slide up or down and uh, attach itself to all four docking ports of a disc or slide away to leave all four of those open. It's currently sitting in between uh, the Echnid disc and the Deva disc between uh, disc one and disc two. Um, do the names of those projects mean anything? It's kind of a stretch, but I have magical threats as a knowledge skill. They're using the fountain of youth to make clones, so maybe they got creative with the names. I mean, yeah, you can you can go ahead and roll it. That's four hits. So the the first one jumps out at you. Uh, it's a stretch. Like you, there's you can rule out immediately that these names are like the equivalent of naming something the Great Corrupter or something like that. Like right. this isn't the these names. They don't... didn't name their project Gun, so I know they're building <laughs> a gun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it. it occurs to you like a lot of what uh what you do when you're researching magical threats and magical theory is uh you go you dip into religions because religion actually has a place in magic uh, in magic not so much that the mythos is real per se but the faith uh lends power to the user um and sometimes the the mythos is real uh but uh in greek mythology uh there is a creature called echidna which is uh, half monster, half woman, half snake, who's one of the most famous mon monsters in, in Greek mythology. So you probably think that the name here is somehow a tip of the hat to that. Um, and then for Deva, uh, in, uh, in the Hindu religion, Devas are, uh, uh, they kind of mean anything that has to do with like anything that's heavenly or divine. Um, uh, it's also a term for a, a specific deity in Hinduism, uh, which is uh, considered more or less a, a good uh, a good creature, as its uh, as its counterpart is Asuras, which is like kind of like it's kind of a good and evil uh, pairing of of uh, their the the deities are twins. Okay, and so Devas would be the good, and Asuras would be the evil, and so Deva you think is a tip of the hat to that Hindu religion. Okay. Do you think? Evo stole a bunch of echidnas from Australia and are experimenting on them? Because that would be horrifying, but also maybe adorable. <laughs> I guess anything's possible. 
in Slavic mythology, uh, the Zarya are the two guardian go- goddesses uh, that guard and watch over the the doomsday hound uh, that basically um, guard against the end of the world. Oh, huh. That's interesting. I don't know that I've gained anything meaningful from this, but it's certainly a lot to think about. <laughs> uh, that security room, it doesn't have a button that says, like, gas trouble employees. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Mouse, you're able to find um, who all's on site, though. And if you want to, well, no, you have three marks. You're able to kind of get a dossier on, on the security team if you want and what they're capable of. Sure. Print it out. Yeah. Uh, there's there's four uh, standard security, mundane, cybernetically enhanced, and then there's two magical security, uh, one of which is uh, definitely linked to the uh, spirit of beast you saw outside. Additionally, you see that they have a full suite of, uh, of combat drones um, to use at their disposal to uh, for any quick response needed, including but not limited to... Uh, two Steel Lynx drones, um, which are large, super heavy, like, con- like short of like a tank. Uh, uh, it's like a tank that can fit in a hallway almost. <laughs> some some Doberman drones, um, which are uh, treaded, uh, fast-moving gun drones, um, and uh, uh, some Roto drones as well. Okay. All of which are currently... Waiting on standby in case any alarms are tripped, and also you do know that it's not just that uh, it's not just that um, if an alarm is tripped on a disc, the disc has to call for help. the The discs have their own internal security that handle most problems, but if things get real bad, they have this on-site uh, auxiliary team that can show up and just cleanse it with fire, <laughs> or spirits, perhaps both. <laughs> Fire spirits underwater. <laughs> okay, so I think we've found all the f- most of the facts that we can. I'm disinclined to say that we should leave and come back. You said disinclined, which implies you want to go in now. Maybe. Okay. Hey, so <laughs> I know this isn't how common sense works. <laughs> Is there something just sort of like... Maybe I'm just missing about how to get in here without getting just instantly murdered. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're basically you got you got two options. You're 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 either going in through the front door, um, masking yourself on any sensors and scopes, doing so, making it so when the door opens they don't know that kind of stuff, um, and then trusting in your stealth ship to go by the uh, by the security suite the auxiliary security suite on your way to down towards Zoria or create a hard seal, go directly into project Echnid and then use that access point to move through project Echnid, get back into the central chamber and then work your way down from the central chamber to Zoria Uh, for your use of common sense. That's, that's pretty much uh, or leave and come up with a different plan that uh, doesn't involve the tools you have on hand, but we brought everything. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. I think going through the front door is the most subtle way to enter this base. <laughs> it, I've never... Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? 
there's probably someone in here with me. I haven't spotted them yet, but it would be silly for them not to have somebody in here. So when I open the door, I'm going to try to make it look like the door hasn't opened. But anybody who's actually looking at the door will obviously see that it is open. From there, I think we have two options. We can trip the interior alarm and face the security team right now. Or we can try to sneak past them, hope they don't see us, and go straight down to the third level, and then they'll only be called in if they need to. Also, I can probably look around and see if there's an antenna array or something that I can completely disable so that they can't call for outside help. You mean someone who's physically standing on the other side of the door looking at the door, right? Yeah, or if there's I, a camera not attached to the ca- not attached to this host. I mean, if there's a person there, I can make them think the door didn't open. Okay, so it's only if there's some, a camera that's not attached to this host that someone is looking at. There's no, they will see the door open, and they will see our ship, and they will come to not valet it like it would normally be valeted if it was a real submarine. Is there any way you can disable the doors on the security? area so they can't get out no i don't have control over that frag i think stealth is the best option for as long as possible okay agreed can i look around um to see if there's a like an external antenna array some way to communicate out to the surface can i look around for that is that here somewhere you mean like above the water like to evo no okay I mean, you not know you can't look. No, there's not one. Yeah, I. I um, okay, Mouse, you don't have any footage of any of the Evo submarines, do you? No. All right. There, Just there are no there are no cameras, only sensors, and it doesn't look like there's any sensor memory data. I'm gonna open the doors. Please drive through quickly so I can shut them. Uh, it doesn't need to be open more than I need to fit the submarine in. If I mean, that helps. the doors are kind of open shut. It's a door. You can you can. You can open it a crack if you want and then close it. Okay. The hard part's going to be making it look like it's not happening. Yeah. On the displays that they have. Yeah. I do that. Cool. I need you to roll edit as you were going to be editing the the live feed of all of the sensors of this base. Uh, as she's getting ready to open the door, uh, you do see floating overhead on your sensors uh, four more of those squid-like things. They're a little bit closer than normal. Can I try and figure out what they are? Yes. With the knowledge I've gained from this wonderful library? (laughs) Yeah, you can roll parazoology on them. That's one hit. (laughs) You know enough to know that they're not naturally occurring paracritters. They are paracritters, but But you... But someone made them, perhaps in a bioengineering lab. Perhaps. Where they're trying to make monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. Um, additionally, uh, you see that, that light that you used to, or that, that kind of almost dim light that seemed to be coming from somewhere that was giving you like a sense of where the ground was, uh, has grown slightly, not to the point where it's very bright, but in the complete darkness of the bottom of this lake, it's very noticeable. And you see actually as, uh, as some of the mud and, and icker, uh, slumps to the side and like, you see on the hood of the submazine, um, there are these little glowing slug-like creatures that are climbing around 
starting to climb up off the ground, like float up and then get on the submazine. Um, and they're not like illuminating the submazine, but given enough time, you will be very visible. <laughs> That's problematic. Uh, and if you want to identify those little slug like creatures, you could roll parazoology again. That's two hits. Uh, yeah, that's easy enough. These are... I'm sorry. That's two hits and a glitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so with two hits, you're able to identify what they are. Uh, with two, two hits, you're able to identify them easily enough. They are soul-eater leeches. <laughs> <laughs> the species uh, originally developed in the tributaries of the Amazon... Uh, where Seder Krupp had been dumping uh, chemicals and uh, from their covert research facilities and power plants. So what, what they do is they sense life. And they're usually, they're usually uh, uh, a paracritter that is born of, like, uh, you know, poisonous, like, chemicals in, like, fresh water. And they're, they're not a huge threat individually. They don't really hurt you. What they do do, they're called soul eater leeches for a reason. They suck the essence out of you if they're on you for long enough and can eventually completely kill you. I mask my aura. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They probably, they they have like some, they kind of have like a a sense that there's probably life forms inside this. Um, They are, they look a lot like just a normal slug, uh, less like a leech, really more like a slug, but they are like putrid green and like they, they leave like this slimy, like luminescent green, like sludge behind them wherever they move. Um, and like when they like, you see one like kind of float and land on like the wing mirror nearby where you are. Um, and it like, when it, like the impact of it, like bumping up against and like attaching to the wing mirror makes it secrete like this, like green, like ooze that just like wisps away in the water. Um, and then it like starts moving like towards the window, trying to find a way in, uh, bumbles. You've heard of soul eater leeches and they fucking terrify you. The name is Soul Eater. <laughs> I don't have much of mine left. Uh, you are you are completely afraid of them. They're almost like a phobia of yours. So uh, while in the presence of them right now, you are going to be operating at a minus two. Okay. How do I shake them off? Getting them off would be pretty hard. They're not going to like you moving the ship around and spinning isn't going to like really launch them off. So I don't think there's any way you can really shake them off short of like going out and scraping them off, which would be even more like deadly because then you'd be exposed to them. And you know that there's the, like you can see all along, they, they, they coat the entire base or the entire surface of this base. Uh, and they're all like, kind of like eking out of the mud and like making it like glow a little bit. Uh, mouse, what'd you get on opening the door? Six. Okay. Uh, you, I mean, you didn't have to roll to open the door, so you do that, uh, and you edit it to the best of your abilities, uh, trying to make it so that there's no indication on any of the sensors that the door has just been opened to crack. Uh, Bumbles, you see a way away from all of these leaders. Yeah, go to it. Can I use leadership to keep Bumbles calm? You sure can. Great. So I'm gonna get in the center console. I'm just gonna, like, pop my head through and be like, hey! I am unconscious. But you're, you have cameras and stuff, so there's sure. like a camera I'm, right there that looks you know, back at everybody. You know, I just like to see the people that I'm talking to. There's a gesture there. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, Bumbles. Hey, I, can you um can you do subtle magic to kill all these leeches? Yeah, so they're trying to eat my soul, and I don't like it. But <laughs> I I know they they're pretty creepy, pretty gross. I don't really like them either. But you know your your ship that you built is super well constructed. It's really strong. You put a lot of effort into this submarine. Right. Yes. Continue. Sub <laughs> into this submarine. So there's absolutely no way these leeches can get in to get you. You're you're totally safe because you put a lot of forethought into the submarine. Okay. Yes, that's good. I feel safer for me personally. I don't like how they're making my stealth ship glow. <laughs> uh, go ahead and roll leadership, uh, Nim. Uh, four hits. Yeah, uh, Bumbles. She she talks some sense to you, and and you know, like, okay. Yeah, they're not getting in here. But you also, you are aware that they are making your ship glow, so you do need to move. But you're not going to be moving in the hectic manner of somebody who is just trying to run from something. You were, you can proceed pre- with precision and stealth while also being hasty to get away from these things before they make you glow anymore. Uh, so you're no longer operating at a minus two. Cool. Uh, if you do think of a way to subtly erase their existence from this plane and all others, do mention it. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> all right. So as you guys move down into the chamber, uh, it's very dark. There's like dim lighting that gives you like a sense of where the outside is. And you can actually see more lit up than uh, than anything else. The uh, ring shaped structure uh, that kind of uh, lessens the space you have to maneuver uh, that is placed between disc one and disc two. Um, That's where the security team is currently housed. Um, It is lit up a little bit more so that you don't run into it. Um, Uh, The space to travel past it, I assume, is not in between the ring and the the dock it's this thing is like basically attached to the discs and just goes up and down right yes yes okay yeah so you're moving in the center yeah bumbles uh you can roll a stealth test using your reaction um and mouse uh you can electronic warfare uh mask things while bumbles is moving down can i assist with that uh you're you're busy piloting uh, that's six hits to boat casual. <laughs> Are there any other Evo submarines now that we're through the doors? Uh, yeah, you actually see them docked up. They kind of uh, take residence in between the discs. There's not that many like between you and the security suite. There's plenty be- past the security suite you can see. If I cast vehicle mask, that's not going to disrupt the chameleon coating, is it? Uh, no. But if we dropped our chameleon coating, it would look like whatever the mask is. Hey, Bumbles. Yes? Do you want to look like a an Evo sub? Sure. Cool. I will put my hand on the window and cast vehicle mask. Sure. Go for it. I'm going to edge this. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to edge as well. All right, Nim, uh, what did you get? I got five hits. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're able to, to, it's like, there's a lot of interference. This is a very high tech, uh, piece of machinery, which does make it harder for you to, uh, uh, to affect it. Um, but you are able to, uh, morph the, what the perceived shape and size of the submazine. Uh, so that it looks a lot more like 
a submarine uh, with like an Evo logo and everything on it, um, which is of course still covered by the chameleon coating for now. But should the chameleon coating drop, you can look you can look like you're supposed to. Um, Mouse, what did you get on your five? Five on your electric countermeasures. Okay, uh, yeah, you're you're keeping an eye on the sensors from inside. You do have like this like cold pit in your stomach knowing that just like just above you in the matrix there's just this black eyes kind of looming and like bubbling waiting to like be a ta- be given a target um and so you're sitting there looking uh, at all of the sensors and uh uh making sure that none of them trigger as you also uh work your own programs to to mask your guys's signature um, go ahead and roll a matrix perception test for me, uh, mouse and, uh, bumbles. You got what on your s- stealth test? I got six. All right, bumbles. Uh, you're coasting down as slow and, and subtly as you can trying, uh, to keep an eye out for like anything floating around in here that you might disturb. Like, uh, some random debris that got into the chamber. Uh, and, uh, you're coasting right through. You actually do see, as you get closer to the lights of this security suite and are passing in the center of it, uh, the center ring does have several windows, uh, to get visual confirmation on, uh, on any ships going through the chamber. Um, and you actually do see a couple security guards like walking by and like looking out there um and uh uh you're floating down you you do see a little fish has made it into this uh into this chamber and it's like swim 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 and you like kind of coast to the side make sure you don't see it and like right as you're passing by nearby one of the windows you see from across the way like there's a there's a female security guard kind of sitting there leaning out looking and she seems to be like watching that fish and uh the fish swims swims and then bumps into your uh your driver's side window and kind of like bumps off of it and like is a little confused and then swims upward and like you see as the security guard is like squints her eyes looks and kind of like puts her 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 eye or her hands above her uh her eyes and like squints and, and looks a little harder and then like seems not to see anything and walks off Thank God it wasn't the fucking magic one. (laughs) (laughs) Mouse, what did you get on your matrix perception? Five. Okay. Uh, With five hits, you do see as you're finishing up your work, uh, you uh, see kind of like almost as if it like kind of like comes out of shadows. Uh, There is uh, another figure in this host with you. Um, you see, uh, what is most assuredly the persona of, uh, security spider, uh, monitoring this host and checking things. Um, he, uh, its persona is, uh, very straightforward. It's a mil spec armored, uh, uh, like soldier with like a, a big gun, like on its back. And it's walking around with like what looks like a data pad, like scanning, uh, scanning all the files. And you just kind of like inch around its feet and scuttle away <laughs> and it doesn't seem to notice you cool okay so it's smooth sailing all the way down to zoria then 
Yeah, actually. Yeah, now you guys coast on through. Uh, <laughs> nothing nothing seems to trip. No alarms are tripped. Uh, and you coast down past uh, the second disc um, and down to the third disc. Uh, you see four access points. Uh, we'll call them north, south, east, and west. Um, and and you, can, uh, you can dock up against those. Is there one that on the map that I was given looks better? Like I said, the floor plan you were given has no contextual clues. Is um, there like a small, like smaller room or do they all go into the same room? They don't all go into the same room. Okay. Uh, it, they have separate hallways that go to separate areas of the, of the uh, base, but they are all interconnected. So if you were to go into the south and you guys had to go to the north... You could walk all the way around to the north and go in that way. Okay. Um, but there's there's no there's no telling exactly uh, where you got where would be the best for you guys to enter because the uh, security team only has a very rudimentary floor plan. Which one is the one that the security team is supposed to dock at, if possible? Oh, it, it depends on where the where they they get instructions. Oh, okay. They're told like dock at this sector, go to this these coordinates engage there got it or like subdue them or whatever uh it looks like they uh looking through the logs uh they've they've been brought into echnid a couple times um uh they went into deva once and they've never been to zoria the security team sure um are all of the docks on the same floor yes Okay, so we're we can't go down to the bottom and Correct. then you can only enter in on floor one of the Zoria disc. Great elevators again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they have stairs though. That would be novel. <laughs> it's um, driver's choice. Oh, we can see the the floor plan. Is there a room based on my extensive engineering knowledge that looks like it's an elevator? Like, is there the same small square-shaped room on every floor on a plan? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to have you roll for it. You'll get enough hits with your industrial mechanic uh, skill. Um, that, yeah, yeah. You can see that there's, uh, that judging by the way this floor plan maps out, you do identify where the elevators are. There's more than one. Okay. There's four elevators. They go, they go through all the floors, it seems like. Uh, and you would guess that, like, these... The north, south, east, and west quadrants of this uh, of this disc are like kind of like w- um, wings, basically. And at the border between, like, basically at the corner of north and east, there's an elevator. At the corner of north and west, there's an elevator. Um, so they're kind of like spaced uh, almost in a square. Um, okay. And then looking at floor three. Uh, you are able to see um, that there does seem to be what would probably be another elevator more centrally located uh, that you would guess would probably be the way to get to the fourth floor. Okay. Um, I guess I take us to the dock closest to the special elevator. Sure. Uh, That would be south. I go there. Uh, So you float on up to the uh, dock. Uh, You're able to... F- turn the submazine upwards so that the bottom hatch can attach to the hatch of the uh, uh, of the docking station, and it creates like a little airlock there for you. Um, and you hear it tss, seal, and then you can open it up, and you're all kind of have to climb in to like step into this little like 
airlock that Boomer kind of has to, or it's, it's just tall enough for like Boomer to stand in. And uh, across from you, basically like two feet from that from that little uh, hatch is the southern quadrant of Project Zoria, floor one. And that's where we'll end this session. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by the Tops Company Incorporated. Shadowrun is a trademark of the Tops Company Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go to www.shadowruntabletop.com for more information.